Hello and welcome to Source of Uncertainty, episode 10. I'm Robert Standifer. And I'm Kyle Swisher. And we are back yet again for another great episode of the podcast. This one done in, uh, what do we have, this uh, stay-at-home order? Not quite shelter-in-place. Yeah, well, no, that just came down for us. Yeah, tonight. I was out. I was at Target, actually, when I got it, and I thought, do I need to get out of here as soon as I can, or can I finish buying my stuff? <laughs> Jay Inslee is coming for you. <laughs> so here we are again. Um, I haven't seen you in person in a very long time. Yeah, it's been a, since kind of the beginning of the year. We, you know, since we did episode eight. Yeah, the two fifty nine E. I saw. Well, I saw you in the rain when I handed you the Northern Light modular box. Yeah, that was like a drug deal. I forget if we talked about that on the <sighs> it was, last one. That it was, was pouring. That was funny. Yeah, it's, it's wild. By the way, you're welcome for all the great weather we've been having here because I planted an entire new yard. And it stopped raining, so I've had to schlep out there and and water it every single day, like three times. <laughs> I think that's going to turn around uh, this week. But you know, enough of the weather and uh, <laughs> you know the uh, the current uh, pandemic state that we're in. Uh, let's talk Bukla. Yeah, well, you know, not a lot has changed for me Bukla wise. I've kind of been distracted by some other things some work stuff and, and so on and my new Waldorf quantum which I've had a lot of fun with but you know the the interesting thing I've seen you know you started posting a bunch of stuff from your EMS visit on Instagram and a lot of posts have been trending with the Bukla hashtag that have nothing to do with Bukla but it, <laughs> well you know that's okay but I think that there's I've seen kind of this spike in interest in Bukla from people that don't know anything about it at all or kind of know about it because, you know, tangentially from other, from famous people that are using it, like Alessandro and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're in Eurorack and they have Bukla inspired modules like the Make Noise DPO and, and stuff like that for their generator. And so there seems like now, maybe it's just me, but there seems like a huge spike of interest in, in Bukla from people and then people who are now getting into the into the modular i don't want to call it a format but into the ecosystem you know you see it on muff wiggler and reddit and other places how could do what can i get for two thousand euros or what do i need to get mm-hmm. started with the bookla system what are the essential modules you know if i have these 12 can i make you know music like alessandro cortini and i, I think that's really interesting you know there i have a lot of theories for why that is but mm-hmm. you think I'm alone in that? I mean, have you noticed that as well? Yeah, I feel like um, there have been yeah a few people the last few months that are, I guess have reached out in different ways. Kind of, um, yeah, it seems like they're just kind of jumping into it. So um, it is cool to be contacted or like to be think that they would want to ask uh, <laughs> my opinion for stuff. I mean, I guess I'm doing this podcast, but I. Don't, uh, I, you know, I never want to be like a, um, uh, what's the word? Like a, a pillar. A pillar. Pillar of the boot you know, community, yeah. Some uh, <laughs> know-it-all, because we're all trying to figure it out for ourselves. But, uh, but yeah, good to share knowledge. Um, but, yeah, it got me thinking 
I mean, just like what I did to try and, and figure stuff out. And I think between then and now, there are some, it, I mean, it, it's still really tough and there's not like just a great <laughs> central database. The Facebook group is really coming alive too. Yeah, the, that's true. Both of them. They have the same name, one's official, one's not. There's been a lot of, <laughs> I know I, I'm like, where do I, I wish I was an easy way to post them both. But, you know, speaking of that, one of the kind of the drivers for this conversation about people new to Bukla is also how our, what we know about it, you know, is so ingrained. We run the podcast, we play with this stuff all the time. We make a lot of, I make a lot of assumptions about what other people would know when they have interest in the format. So, mm-hmm. for example, I posted on Facebook um, the video about episode seven with the 223E. And someone asked about the frame that the 223E is in, the, the controller. And I was like, you're thinking to myself, you know, that's the frame for the 223E. Well, you know, but Bukla hasn't made those for years. Mm. And, you know, they're, you can't buy them anymore. I think Stefan, you know, SA Modular has experimented with the frame, but that's the kind of thing I thought, yeah, you know, if you go back far enough, you'll know about that passive frame. But now you're getting into it. You've never seen it before. Yeah, there's stuff that that dies generationally, and the generation can just be two or three years yeah. long in a way. Like, um, like I think it's um, I apologize if I don't, I forget his name, Guy with the um, the meta programmer. Um, oh yeah, the, Guy. Guy. Yeah. Um, you know that came out twenty seventeen yeah. or yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I have and. One. Yeah, and he's doing a, a second version of it, and you know it's funny. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that. But then, uh, like that was kind of around when I first started coming into to Buku Land, where other people are like, well, I've never seen that before, and it's interesting how stuff can kind of quickly go out of phase yeah. within these little kind of generational gaps. And we we can all be guilty of it, and it's sort of it's sort of like a pyramid because whereas I I thought. Why wouldn't he know about the frame? Or I wasn't really that dismissive, but you know, that that's what popped in my head was it's a, the passive frame. Well, when you post, you know, if you post on Muffwiggler about needing a good clock, somebody says, Oh, just get a pendulum ratchet. But mm-hmm. Chris Ware hasn't been making those for years. Yeah. And when you search for something, you know, and you get a post from 2014 where all the air drill modules and, and stuff were available, you're like, wow, that was the glory days of, you know, being mm-hmm. able to get these things and these, and it's it's kind of funny, like, I guess you have to, there's a certain point where it stops. You know, somebody does know about all the modules and has all of them, and there's nothing that person hasn't seen or done. But I don't know. It's a, as we get more people coming into the into the ecosystem, the types of questions that they're asking are a lot different from what I've seen in the past three years as well. You know, that conversation about um, pitch tracking comes up a lot. About the mm-hmm. 261E. I mean, we've seen it in Facebook and Muffwiggler and elsewhere. And for us, we're like, yeah, 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 it doesn't track pitch, but because <laughs> we've been in the conversation so many times. But yeah. it's a different person. And they're they're like, I want to be able to make techno, you know, with the 4-4 bead. And it needs to be really great, tight timing. How do I do that? And you tell them, well, you need to get this module, the 225E, to be able to do that. And in a four-space system or an eight, you know a small system, they're like, damn, I need to have a whole module just to be able to have pitch tracking, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it's like introducing people to Buchla from the, from the point of view where they want to accomplish something with the instrument rather than looking at the instrument as an ecosystem and then figuring out what they want to do with it, which is how I came into it. You know, I came in from the, I'm really interested in low pass gates and the freedom of, of the format and bananas and all that stuff. And I figured out what kind of music I could make in that. But if I were coming from, you know, the point of view of a producer or coming from Euro rack or something like that, I might think I want to make this type of music and to be able to do that with Buchla, I need to know how I'm going to, how I'm going to do that. How am I going to have a 64 note sequence and, you know, with different timings per note and all of that. And mm-hmm. we don't really think about that. We don't talk that way. That's not the vocabulary that we use when we're talking about Buchla. So that's been really fascinating to see kind of in, in large numbers, I guess. It's been trickled. I mean, I was one of those people, but I see it a lot more now. And even in, on Reddit, where Buchla is kind of relegated to, you know, that's the price of a car or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, now people are talking about it there too, because they have a DPO or a further generator or something in Eurorack. And they think, how could I get that, that real Buchla sound, you know, red panel or going into Buchla directly or going into an easel. Mm-hmm. So all of that's to say that I, I think that's really exciting. And I like having my assumptions challenged as a pillar of the Buchla community as someone to call me. <laughs> I can't get pillar on my license plate. It's already taken. <laughs> I, did I tell you that someone asked me about the Skylab system and asked if the the preset manager in the Skylab, since it's a built system, if it came loaded with presets, like when you buy a Quantum or HydroSynth or whatever, it'll have oh. you know, tons of patches in it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But what a great question though, right? Yeah. Because, you know, my HydroSynth has 1,000 or my Quantum has 1,500 presets. That well, are and the preset by... thing has just like exploded in the past yeah. like, three years, I feel like. like. Like, I don't know, when I got like the Korg Mendelog or something, it was like maybe 50 <laughs> or 100. And then it was like, then you got another 100 that you could do of your own. Yeah. And I mean, now we're like in the, Yeah multiple hundreds up to like a thousand. Like that's insane. So you spend, just let me, let me wax on presets for a moment here, but you spend, you know, $4,500 on a quantum, you get 1500 presets. And that's not an exaggeration. That's actually the number. And they're designed by Richard Devine and BT, who I really like, and, you know, other famous musicians and sound designers. If you buy like a Profit Rev 2, you can get Geosynths. He's a fantastic sound designer. Mm-hmm. Um, he made, Geo made um, presets for the Hydrosynth. So if you're coming from that world and you drop 15 large on a Skylab, and one of the things about Buchla that makes it so great is the preset manager, it stands to reason that it would be loaded with presets when you buy it. You know, coming purely from that point of view of, having a mini log or having a quantum or, or a profit or whatever. That, I mean, that's logical. It's a logical question. And we yeah. think of that's they we're thinking of it as you create your patch and you store it in a preset. Well, that's exactly the way it works in all the other synthesizers too. They just came with factory presets. So it's kind yeah. of an interesting thing, right? I mean, I that's thought it was a, a good question. Also, um, I think with the, Arturia um, 
easel, the you know the software one. Uh, I think Todd Barton did like presets for that. So they actually that, did yeah, that. So, that's right. So you know, in, in case that person you know shelled out the hundred bucks or whatever that was for the software one and had presets, maybe they'd be like, oh yeah, like it's just there's presets in Bukla. Oh man. I would totally buy a Skylab Todd Barton edition <laughs> that had 30 presets all designed by Todd Barton with like pictures of where all the cables go. That'd be awesome, man. I would, yeah. I would totally buy that. So I have one more thing I want to ask about Kyle before we get on to the rest of the show. Yeah. How are things going with the 248 firmware? Oh, um, they're going pretty well. I, I got that thing loaded up the, yeah, from where that Stephen Barsky has been working on. And, um, and yeah, I'm able to use all my programs now. So just doing a, a ton of uh, dividing and, and um, stuff I wasn't able to do earlier. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy. There's still, um, there's still kind of some, some bugs that I've found kind of involving like enable and sustain um programs but those could have been in there before i don't know like that's kind of the tough thing too like i i guess i'm i haven't gone back to reload the old firmware to see if that bug was in there anyways because it they're kind of an esoteric thing it's like on a patch that i had never tried this same kind of setting before so i just don't know um but yeah it's it's a it's a great start and i'm excited for um, for more, there's a lot of chatter on that thread on Muff Wiggler. So glad that people are smart, people much smarter than I are uh, jumping in on it and uh, thinking of ways to, to fix the CB jitter and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's really cool to watch. Um, it's such an awesome way to see the community pulling together to, um, yeah. to keep this going, you know, and volunteering the time. And it's a lot of work. Totally. You know, that's my business. Yeah. Programming yeah. is a lot of work. Um, yeah, and what, what's cool is uh, Stephen's been in contact with uh, Suzanne Chani too, um, and uh, I think he's going to be loading the uh, or like working with because she has three, so yeah, he's going to load the firmware and help her out with hers as well. So um, mm-hmm. it's like that uh, that Marfa summit that I joked about on the episode <laughs> with her. It's like kind of happening. Kind of when, so when the firm, when the next, when 2.5 is done and she's been testing and performing with it, we should have her back on the show and then we could talk about, you know, like the, it'd be cool to have her come, you know, a year after the first episode and talk about yeah. how the, the Marf has changed in that period of time. Yeah. Have Steven on or something too. That would be cool. Yeah. Fun. Kind of a Marf 2.5 episode. <laughs> we should be episode 25 of the show. So. Yeah, it's like uh, six years from now or something, right? Yeah. Is that you're really, math on that? really bad at math, but yeah, six years from now, <laughs> we're going to do one every three months. <laughs> um, but actually, this is a, an anomaly. Um, we've got a, uh, this is 10, so we've got 10.5 uh, coming in a couple weeks. We're going to make this a two-part episode. Um because yeah, what the rest of the show is kind of going to focus on is my trip to uh, EMS in Stockholm and using the the big old 200 system there. That's uh, comprised of, of mostly original uh, Buchla and Associate modules 
from the 70s. Um, and while I was there, I just tried to, tried to um, record everything, not only what was coming out of there, but just, um, you know, I did uh, audio diary and, and um, kind of tried to take videos of most of the patches that I was doing. So, um, so yeah, what you're going to hear for the rest of this episode is going to be my uh, audio diary for the first three days that I was there. Um, and then it's also going to end with my interview with uh, Daniel Araya, who is the head technician there. Um, and he's got a product that he's coming out with too. So you hear more about that. And, um, and then, yeah, in a couple of weeks, we'll release um, the second part of this and that'll be uh, the remaining days there and uh, an interview with uh, Jan Nensen, the human comparator. So good stuff. Cool. Um, well, oh, I'm, also, I'm not in any of it, by the way, <laughs> just wondering why, why Robert isn't talking. I wasn't there. I wasn't invited. <laughs> so sa- savor these, uh, these 20 minutes up front. All right. That's the, the last of these baritone tones you're going to be. They're going to fast forward to that part of the show. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Robert does not talk from here on. Like, well, let's, go right, let's go right to that. We muted Robert for the rest of this episode. Um, oh, also to mention, um, because of the current uh, health crisis situation, um, we didn't get together. Um, we practice social distancing, so we didn't do a Northern Light Modular video. So... Um, so we apologize to all the Patreon people that um, subscribe every month for those videos. But on the flip side, um, and uh, you know, maybe if you're interested, this is the time to jump in. Um, I think I took maybe about 25 videos of kind of performances of patches or breakdowns of patches I was doing throughout my time at EMS. So there's going to be a ton of stuff popping up over the next couple weeks. Um, and, uh, and you also get part two of this um, podcast a bit early if you sign up now. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, patreon.com slash source of uncertainty if you're interested. So, yeah, I guess with that. Um, Roll tape. Hello. Um, I thought I should document my stay here in Stockholm for my M's residency. And um, yeah, so I just had day one happen yesterday at the studio. Uh, It's January 21st today. So my first day was the 20th. I got in on the 19th. I kind of spent the first few hours here just kind of walking around the city and uh, trying to take photos for my family to to see and kind of get all the sightseeing done in the first few hours I'm here because I keep on joking with everybody I'm traveling across the world to stay in a room a windowless room for hours and hours on end um so yeah that was fun on Sunday uh but yesterday was the first day and uh the people at M's are are great they kind of welcome in welcome you in right away and give you a tour of the place there's about there's seven different studios within the compound. Um, all have different functions. There's a couple 
uh, multi-channel, I think 16 channels or so, you know, spatial studios. There's the studio with the big 200E, or sorry, 200 system in there. Uh, another studio with uh, older, smaller, um, kind of black knob version of uh, 200 stuff. And, um, and then upstairs, they've got a studio that has a surge system in there too. So yeah, yesterday kind of just, I had five hours and, um, just kind of got, it was like the, the getting to know you, uh, <laughs> session. It's funny cause it's, it's all time-based or I, I, it's, I mean, I guess when I make music and stuff, it's done it at home over long periods of time. And I'm, you know, usually, um, coming and going, doing other stuff I need to do around the house or whatever. Um, and so it's interesting to, to be kind of focused on one thing, but then have that ticking clock in the back of your head too. Um, so I tried to just shove that aside and, you know, tell myself I'm probably going to be spending about 40 plus hours here while I'm, while I'm here. Um, so, so, you know, I got time. But yeah, so I kind of spent it exploring modules I hadn't used before. So uh, that was a lot of time just kind of figuring out the 227 and uh, the the quadraphonic module. And also, uh, I've been really excited to play with the, the 288V, the time domain processor by Mark Burbos, or his clone of it. And yeah, it's it's as noisy and, and wonky as everybody says it is. So, um, but yeah, kind of fun to f just kind of scratch the surface with that thing. Um, unfortunately, there's a couple, I've noticed there's like a couple of the taps. So there's eight delay taps in that thing um, that you can, you know, turn on, mute, or put out of phase. And the four and seventh tap don't seem to be firing. Um and that was kind of another big takeaway. It's like, you know, the system is iconic and old. And, you know, everything that I've been playing on is either, you know, a BEMI music easel or clones that have been made in the last few years. And, you know, everything works and, you know, sliders are very functional and everything like that. And this is just like, oh, yeah, this is this is a vintage instrument. It's, you know, it's, it's grimy. It's been used. It's 40 plus years old. Um, so, so yeah, kind of fun. And, and, um, I didn't really think about that just kind of playability wise, um, coming into this. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the original 259 oscillators sound great. Um, there's a, a 218 uh, Roman clone in there currently, but I did see the um, the 221 that they've kind of had in storage in a while. It sounds like the key bed is not um, tracking all that well, um, but the other functions on it uh, do work. The, um, the joystick and the kind of wiggle CV. Uh, where it kind of the whole keyboard can shift uh, side to side and produce CV that way. So they are going to put it in the system at some point for me uh, to to check it out. I kind of 
want to maybe hold off on doing that for a couple days um, just while I explore other parts of it. I didn't get into the 205 at all yet, uh, something I'm looking to to uh, mess with. Um, I did, let's see, I did play with the 296. They usually have two in there, but unfortunately the other one is, is on the workbench. Uh, Daniel, the uh, head tech over here, which uh, I think I'm going to talk to for the podcast, he said, yeah, the sliders have just, you know, are a shot now after you know, 40 plus years of, of heavy use, they've gone out. So it's, it's understandable, but, um, but yeah, he's maybe working on, um, kind of building his own bank of sliders for it. And so instead of having individual sliders, um, I don't know, somehow working on, on some, some sort of repair that has all the sliders on one kind of board or something like that. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that later. But yeah, it was nice to meet him in person. I've been chatting with him for the last several months leading up to this. And uh, yeah, I got to also uh, play with the original Marf. So that that was kind of huge. Because if you've listened for a while, you know how, especially the, the second episode with Suzanne and the Marf, um, I'm a big fan of that. And so, but I also... Uh, you know, deal with all the shortcomings of the the version that I have. Um, so, uh, what's interesting is that it's super buggy and not in a way that I I guess I would have expected. It's just while you're um, while I'm programming it, and um, if I have it on the kind of continuous voltage knob to where you can um, you know scan through the sixteen steps with the knob. Uh, um, I sometimes like to program that way and I'll kind of notch it one, one step ahead and then, you know, program, um, whatever settings I need as I'm like shifting back and forth, it would just throw weird programming changes that I didn't and kind of like erase ones that I had already put in there. <laughs> so it's a lot of kind of like edit and re-editing with it. But in the end for the, the patch that I made, it did, you know, kind of work stably um and yeah so it's just kind of interesting um working with this it, with this version um there's still more things i want to test with it i didn't get to um check if uh while it's running uh, while it's being clocked externally if pulses will fire because that's one of the the big complaints i have with the current version is that yeah if it's if you have a stop program set for every stage so then you can clock it externally and it'll move in time um the programmed output pulses won't fire when that happens so uh i might get into that today um and i've got another kind of shorter uh five hour session with it today and as i progress throughout the week the days get get longer i think by this coming weekend i'm basically there for 12 hours or, or more. So, so yeah, kind of maybe just kind of trying to systematically go through modules and kind of learn their quirks and stuff. And, um, and yeah, try and record some things. I did bring my binaural microphone cause I really want to, um, you know, see if I can record in this quad setting and if it really, if it translates well, um, to kind of feeling in the room. Because I think it would be a good way to 
uh, share quadraphonic uh, recordings easier um, because it's not like everybody has then their own quadraphonic system for playback. So, but I was, this is the first time I've played with, I guess I've played in quad with somebody else directing the sounds for me. Um, but this was the first time I was able to to set that up myself and play, you know, with it in the in the Buchla setting, and it was super fun. Um, so so yeah, I think more exploration with the Marf today and the two twenty seven, um, and let's see, yeah, I think that's about it. I did get as I was kind of exploring through different modules, I did get uh, kind of a, a patch put together and it's it's nice to play on this big system just to have so many voices or oscillators um and signal processing and extra envelopes and stuff it's uh you can just get that much more complex um you know it's weird saying like yeah more is more but yeah more is definitely um making things easy to 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 make things as kind of a complex as I, I want them to be so um yeah i think that's it for now i will uh either check in tonight or tomorrow bye Daily Diary. 
yesterday was a another five hour session um and we started out by i think i didn't really mention this in the first one um the <laughs> i'm a i'm a pc user and so uh so in in the studio of course it's very nice and has like a, a great mac setup and um all these different daws that i don't really use i'm not super well versed in um all the different types of daws and the way i use mine which is a you know like presonus studio one that's like a version from like six plus years ago um i basically just press record and and record my stereo track into it maybe i'll put a high pass filter on it and and that's about it so yeah it's kind of been a, a learning curve on that and using um their stuff they kind of first tried to set me up with ableton on the first day and i just i had no <laughs> no way to to navigate it um plus i think it was just more functionality than i needed and so we tried to because i did bring my laptop um we tried to get a audio interface kind of plugged into the system and on my laptop but we um i don't know we spent probably like the first 40 minutes or so kind of troubleshooting that and trying to get that set up and it was just like yeah let's not mess with this because it's taking too much time so uh so yeah we just started using a different DAW and, and we'll just kind of roll with it so um yeah, that's one been been one interesting thing navigating this studio. It's funny because I come in, and I'm like, I'm kind of a luddite with that end of this. Um, so yeah, yesterday was kind of more experimenting with modules uh, that I'm not super familiar with, and I did um, leading up to this trip, I had kind of written down several uh, patches that I was hoping to to try out on uh, just you know knowing what modules were going to be there and so I kind of tried to start in on that yesterday and unfortunately came up against the uh, their original MARF of which I think I mentioned before is super glitchy um, I will kind of program one, like section A of it um, and then when I hit the display to go into section B and start programming there when I flip back to section A, stuff is wonky. Like it's reprogrammed itself <laughs> from the time I switch back and forth. And it has, you know, added slopes or um, sustain uh, programmed uh, choices in there. So then you kind of have to go back and, and erase those. And then when you flip back to B, then that's messed up from before. So it's kind of a bummer. Um, because I had all these things that I want to try out that were, you know, based on the MARF. And that is kind of the main sequencer in there. They've got the 245, which is a five-step sequencer. Um, so, you know, I'm used to using a, an easel sequencer, but I have had the MARF for over a year now, so that's kind of my my main sequencer. Um, so, yeah, I haven't... <laughs> not really getting into too much rhythmic stuff, Um yet um but yeah so today i think i'll i'll try and just um take that in stride and kind of dumb down my 
my patches with it and maybe just use one section at a time and not try and get both section A and B going because it doesn't doesn't seem to really work out too well. And uh, it was also interesting talking with the guys that are um, that help run the studio. I guess Suzanne was was there. Um, I guess maybe within the last couple of years or something like that, and she was trying to use theirs because you know she was, I think, kind of looking to to use an original to help kind of iron out like oh how how it's supposed to work compared to the the roman clones and it's so glitchy that it was just i think it sounded like she was pretty frustrated <laughs> with it as well because it's um i think it's pretty hard to know how it actually worked in the beginning at this point in time i don't know if like alessandro cortini is, is working super well or or Reed's in New York. Um, he's got several. Uh, so yeah, maybe they're working better than this one. But um, so yeah, anyways, I did uh, one patch that I was excited to get into was a feedback patch involving the uh, 288V time domain processor. So I ran, ran the, uh, the outputs into a 207 mixer. Uh, routed one of the left and rights back into the uh, mixer inputs of the 288V. And I took the other left and right out into a, uh, I think I put it into, yeah, 292. And then I ran that into the 296. And then I ran those back into another 207 uh, mixer into, or actually, I forget if I went to a 207 or I went right into the 227. That thing is, I'm still trying to kind of figure it out and it um I have I had used this kind of full feedback patch uh within the 277 that I have the um the delay and um and so this one works a bit differently but I have all those uh individual tap outs that I can kind of bring in and out so that's what I was really looking forward to kind of messing with and um and then yeah processing those with the uh with the 296 as well. Um, and yeah, it turned out well. I, yeah, once I kind of got it going, um, I found that all the different, uh, all the taps uh, for the individual tap outs or whatever on the 288, they have uh, three way switches. So there's like a mute in the middle and up is on. And then if you do down, it is um, out of phase, I guess, with the other taps. So I would have kind of everything on, and then I would just kind of selectively either turn one off or turn it um, down to be out of phase, and it would really just kind of throw the thing out of whack and give it a whole new kind of grungy, gnarly character. And then it would kind of... So, yeah, it would just kind of explode and then kind of sustain um, kind of get into a sustained mode with that and then I'd add like another tap um to go mute or in um out of phase and that would just kind of change the character again um so yeah I had a lot of fun uh working with with that that's just kind of so unpredictable but um just immediately gnarly which is <laughs> kind of fun um so yeah I might try and revisit that later maybe try and work with the individual tap outs uh up at the top because they all have audio outs 
all the eight of them. And so maybe I'll run those into different filters and, and uh, ring modulators and whatnot and kind of expand on that. So we'll see. Um, today is an eight-hour day, so longer than my, my last uh, few or last couple. And towards the end of the week, um, I basically have the, the whole place to myself for for the whole day. So um looking forward to that too. So yeah, I just kind of kept on trying to think. I got all oscillators going um, and had the 218 keyboard kind of changing pitch, kind of like just made like a big chord with them and, and eased in different modulation and stuff. And that was... It was all right. It didn't really turn out the way that I wanted to. to. Um, I One of the things I was looking to do was make like a, a swirl patch for the 227. Um, you can do that with the 227E by just pressing a button and the thing will start swirling. But you only have the X and Y inputs on the 227. So I had a Marf patch kind of drawn out where I would hopefully get that going, but I couldn't get both. I need both side A and B to work in kind of tandem to do that. And since they weren't cooperating with one another, it didn't really go anywhere. So I did put the, um, I did get some kind of swirl things going with the uh, 281 in quadrature mode. And um, so yeah, that was fun kind of messing with that for a bit and made me kind of think back to what Robert and I were um discovering <laughs> on the uh on the episode that we had the 281 featured and and how we're kind of learning in time how that thing worked out so um but yeah that was fun so um yeah today i've got a, a few other patches that i have kind of written out that i want to try and get to like once again a lot of those <laughs> involve the marf so maybe some of the ones that weren't too complex I can I can um, keep working with but I'm also looking to kind of dig into the 285 I haven't um, haven't really dug into that or the 205 yet so maybe I'll get oscillators running into the 205 and have those run in the into the 285 and kind of audition different things and I don't know we'll see so um, yeah that's about it uh, after the session though I did uh, meet up with a local here Nick who uh, listens to the podcast and we went to a guitar pedal shop called these go to 11 which is maybe the best shop name I've ever heard of and uh, it was a beautiful shop um, just yeah every kind of pedal you could imagine um, very pretty well set up and um, yeah we went to a bar down the road and had some uh, uh, Swedish brewed beer and, uh, yeah, had, had a good chat. So that was fun. And, um, yeah, we might meet up again before I take off, but, um, yeah, that's about it for day two. Thanks.
All right, uh, this is uh, day three of the EMS diary. Um, I'm actually recording this the the same evening that I just finished this up. Um, where day two, I just I did that in the morning or the diary for it. Um, I've got a very early morning tomorrow morning, so I didn't think I would be fitting it in because I've got a six a.m. start time. Um, but yeah, today was the first, uh, eight hour session, uh, tomorrow will be my second eight hour session, but at kind of a, what sounds like an untimely hour at 6am, but with all the jet lag, I've been falling asleep pretty early, but then waking up, you know, dead in the middle of the night and <laughs> waiting till, till sun comes up. So, um, yeah, pretty good day today. I started out trying to focus on the the binaural mic- microphone and trying to get that sound better. I, I swapped out the the nine volt battery in there and really cranked the preamp on on it because it, I had listened back to the recordings of day two and um, yeah didn't didn't really like what I was hearing. So um, so yeah I kind of got that set up and got a good just kind of gnarly drone um going and i kind of (laughs) forget today's kind of whirlwind um i kind of forget the basis of it but it was a lot of um oh no i know what i did i tried to (laughs) make a uh div kid slash uh instro uh oct uh out of uh two 281s so i had the the four or the four uh triangle um kind of like lfos if you will on each um each module so those eight outputs were going into uh, kind of doubling up um, into the 296 to fill all the um, CV inputs, the 16 across that would kind of you know rise and fall with all the different LFOs that I was giving it, um, and I kind of tuned each one um, you know to get progressively longer as they went kind of down the row. Um, so I, so kind of to back up a little bit, I did what I did was take the um, preset voltage out of the 218. And put that into the attack of uh, one of the um, 281s. And then I just daisy-chained that. Kept on adding bananas to go to the... So that I'd go to the decay. And then I'd stack another uh, banana from the decay going into the attack of the the next uh, envelope above it. And just kind of kept on going. And and yeah, like I said, kind of tuned them all in relation to one another. Um just kind of by ear and so yeah I could kind of turn the rate up and down with the preset voltage source yeah so that was cool so that was kind of the basis of that and then I used the um I used the ores uh from both of them to go and uh that kind of dealt with the panning on two of the channels it's funny I think I've been I've been calling out a lot of stuff that's not really functioning properly with the um with the modules in there and like I think I mentioned before Daniel that oversees the uh, studio he's not in this week he's like working off-site um, though I might get to 
uh, touch base with him later this week and maybe interview him for the podcast. Um, so the other guys that are there uh, helping out, you know, um, they're super knowledgeable, but you know, I think a lot of the repair stuff falls on, on Daniel's uh, shoulders, but it's been funny. I've kind of just been finding different things within the system. Um, I realized today that the, uh, I thought the 227 was a, a clone, but it's not. It's an original. And so channels three and four, I think three was worse than four somehow, but it they weren't fully panning. It was like you, it would skip out of like a, like the third channel um, on it. So I'm kind of down to inputs one and two are, are panning just fine. And then, you know, there's two 207s and and stuff. So there's there's plenty of, of channels to use, but kind of only two in quad. Um, but that's fine. Yeah, and I was kind of pointing out other things that weren't quite working, right? Like with the 288 the um the four and seven tap not working but yeah so i had that good kind of drone session uh that was cool and um and then i did listen back to the recording not in headphones from the binaural um setup but just kind of there um in the studio and it it felt i don't know it just was louder and and more present i guess is how i would describe it um so yeah i'm looking forward to listening back to those. Yeah, so after that, I had them put in the 221, which is, you know, the the keyboard that came after the the 218 that has all the functionality to work with the uh, 300 series kind of setup. But unfortunately, the (laughs) almost everything on there is not working, um, except for the joystick. But the joystick was one of the main things that I I wanted to use because of the quad. I kind of wanted to control that with, you know, specific um, dialing in the specific speakers and stuff. So I had a lot of fun with that. Um, It is cool because it has uh, two outputs for for the X and two outputs for the Y. But it so it kind of breaks up the um, the joystick in, in quadrants and. So that was just fun, kind of doubling up, like, you know, I'd have it do the panning, but I'd also maybe um, have it uh, go to the CBNs on, like, the 259's modulation uh, source or input, and then the um, timbre knob. Yeah, so had fun with that, kind of brought in some delay with that, and and I think the, yeah, I had that going through ring mod, um, it's like hard to forget, or I mean, it's hard to remember everything that I kind of went through today. But um, yeah, spent quite a bit of time with with that, and um, yeah, the two twenty one's wild. It's got this chassis that it kind of is mounted to. So the um, when you put it into the boat, it's not like you're um, screwing it down to like the lip of the boat like you would with any other module. You can kind of like what this is meant to do is you um, screw it down to the to the bottom of the boat, and and in this chassis it lets you you know wiggle it side to side and that kind of gives you the the wiggle CV. But unfortunately, the guys they hadn't installed it before. I think it's been out of that case for several years. I don't think people really think to ask for it or know about it. And it and like Daniel said, the um, 
the keypad was not really function or functioning properly and now at this point it wasn't really functioning at all but they did call daniel and um yeah they kind of assessed that they might have kind of installed it incorrectly so we'll see if if we kind of take another stab at at trying to mount it right i mean i'd like to try out the wiggle um on it but uh at this point i think that having the 218 back in the system is gonna be more useful for just making music um so yeah i then uh had another good patch i'm trying to think oh i brought i was working with the 288 again um and i was also um oh yeah i was using the 205 matrix mixer so i basically had the delay running into every filter that was on the the thing and all the different um the different outs of the 296 and kind of so i could kind of um yeah so i had the signal running through the 296 and i could either bring up the comb filter or the programmed um outputs or the the individual sliders section um and so that was kind of cool to just quickly hear each one by bringing them up or kind of blending them all together um, it's pretty cool with with that and and i did work with the marf a bit today um i just kind of dumbed down what i <laughs> what i was wanting to do and just use one uh, side once like section a of of the marf and didn't switch over to section b because i found that that's really when stuff starts going haywire but i was able to program some pulses and you know get that running into the 245 to um you know kind of divide the pulses or whatever the steps and um and yeah i had a good um good kind of song slash track at the end based off of that um this yeah sequence that i had on the marf i would have liked to have the 218 i probably would have like had another kind of lead line or something that i would play on the on the keyboard on top of it but um but yeah since the 221 was in there i didn't really get it um although i did leave everything kind of still patched up from this patch because i'm going to be the next person in there very early uh tomorrow morning i don't know if i'm gonna the the other guys that come in that would maybe swap out the 218 back in there um i don't think they get there till nine so it'd be like three hours with that patch in there so i think i will just move on tomorrow
Okay, we're here with Daniel in the studio. Um, so how long have you been working here? I've been working here for 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's, it's been quite a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and like, had you been coming here to use the studio before that, or? No, I was actually called in to fix, the, I think, the surge first. Okay. Uh, and because the the studio engineer back then he was not into analog since he was like uh, this is the shit from from old times <laughs> we want plugins from the future mm-hmm. so he was like very reluctant to to touch this he at one point wanted to throw it away uh, so a user here saved it from the trash actually oh my god but when i started here uh, the bukla had a had a power supply malfunction so i would say like only 40% of it worked Okay. And then it was not. It was also in two systems. It used to be two systems, so there were like, uh, was it was all over the place and mo- modules at other old service technicians, and it was like, uh, it was a mess basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so okay. So you worked on the surge, and then um, and then started on the bookla. Yeah, and and then it was time for the the other guy to retire, and so they asked me if I wanted to take his place basically. Mm-hmm. And I said yes. I was yeah. working at the radio, uh, the national radio at that point, uh, and oh. I was a bit tired of that. I've been working. I had been working there for ten years, so it was change of pace yeah, and yeah. yeah, different spot. And also work with synths. Like, uh, how many jobs you can you have? <laughs> right. Um, so we're in the studio with the the big system, and there's a secondary system um, uh, across the way. Tell me about. I guess the case. This is obviously custom. Yeah, the the case uh, is modeled from the one at the Audisys Foundation in Canada. Okay. So I asked uh, for pictures and measurements, and I had this made. A couple of friends there are they make movie props mainly, but they also one of them is a master carpenter. Mm. So I gave them a, a blueprint, and a friend helped me draw it, and we had it custom made. It's modeled. From the what it is one, but slightly bigger, okay. so it's slightly it, it, it has uh, ten ten modules more. Okay. To grow in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then when did you get this one set up? Well, I would say maybe like seven years, six seven years ago or something. It was finished. Mm-hmm. Okay, it took quite a while because back then there were nobody making the boats, for example, custom. Yeah. Nowadays you can get anything. So there were almost no clones and no mechanics so you had to like order it by yourself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and figure it out yeah. yourself yeah um because yeah it, it is kind of um two sets of six u boats um five five high um yeah yeah, I can, yeah i can see how, like, no, no, cool no, it used to be super huge but now with the diy again people are building this these big systems yeah but what is cool is you have this translucent red yeah. glass I, I missed the text still. We never finished the text, so I have oh. to have to make the um, uh, the text by the says, electric uh, music box. Or yeah, whatever. electric music box. Yeah. But now I've actually got. Uh, I have a friend who got this uh, vinyl uh, cutter, so I'm actually going to make it now. All right, that's more reason for me to come back. Yeah. And <laughs> <see>. <laughs> it's gonna look great. Um, and then tell me, so you've got this custom module that's right next to the 227. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's just a breakout mainly for from for the 227, 
but it's also some like utility modules the the illegal function changing from bananas to audio jacks <laughs> uh, and uh, we have um, a couple of attenuators and a remote control for the dimming uh, of the fluorescent tube behind the uh, behind the red strip it's amazing with a cv in yeah that's nice because the driver for the it's a, it's a daylight tube it's you it has a sensor so when it uh, when you you're in an office mm-hmm. it dims it when there's sun outside so you have a constant uh, uh, light uh, level and that sensor amazingly enough had 0 to 10 volts oh, as so a control like... signal so it was just like uh, hooking it up to a control yeah it's it's been a lot of fun like it's maybe <laughs> I I always joke about like the I the two thirty how I never see anybody using it. I love it. It's my favorite module. I have two in my system at home. It's the techno module. Yes, yeah, that's what I yeah exactly. You got to follow up those beats. Um, but yeah, I've just been putting that yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. for the lights and nice. Yeah, it's been good. Um, so yeah, are there plans to grow? Because there's probably about. Mm, 10 or so module or well i guess some are on the bench the 296 we have, yeah we have and a 296 and two, uh, 285 on the bench also yeah. uh we have i i don't there's so many modules now uh out so many cool modules mm-hmm. so i'm thinking i i have i'm thinking of one of uh, i'm go- definitely going to put in uh the thc uh, uh like trigger sequencer yeah the pro- programmable Pro- yeah pulser. i'm going to put that one in I think because it will make a nice addition to the sequencers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, we have no immediate plans. But uh, if I find something interesting, I might uh, might support some of the new manufacturers for fun. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I mean, I like how you know you only have one E module in here, which is for um, uh, MIDI. Yeah, which makes sense uh, to kind of open it up to them because I'm sure a lot of people coming in. Yeah. Um, or maybe not all familiar with everything that the system no. can do. You have to. Yeah. Some people really want to like they have a something they want to run through the bootloader control, but but so we so we need to have like a MIDI interface. Mm-hmm. But some people never use it, so it's a you know it's it's this system has so many options, so you can uh, cater to almost all ideas here. So, but it would we are actually I'm actually going to put in uh, a booklized version of the uh, expert sleepers interface in it so oh. we get higher resolution okay so since uh, the the small booklet we have in the room uh, across here mm-hmm. uh, when uh, if Dagabai of Skinnerbox was here mm-hmm. he developed uh, a plugin uh, a, a max max for live plugin that was uh, that used that because that system doesn't, doesn't have any control in yeah. So he made the plugin to use a, a, a motor audio interface to control it with CV. Okay. And that plugin later evolved to the one that is included in all Ableton uh, releases now. So the CV tools in Ableton is Ifta's creation. It was made in Studio 3 here. Mm. So this is like, it's it's perfect for the book lab because of the weird tracking and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to add that uh, Parallel to the MIDI, so you can use a uh, high resolution uh, control interface. Oh, cool. With auto tune also for the scale. Oh, right, right. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, I guess getting this all kind of put back together, um, 
I hear that maybe Suzanne dropped by. Yeah, we spent recently. a day here. Uh, it was she taught me some really cool tricks, uh, especially with the sequencers. Yeah, and uh, stuff that I never heard from anybody before. So we we had a great time. That's awesome. She's super cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anybody other kind of notable that you've had fun learning from? I've come uh, to hear. Well, Morton Subotnik spent a day here. Uh, he was here for. Uh, he had some talks, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, they needed somebody to babysit him for a day, <laughs> and it was me and Jon. Uh, so he was—he he has so many stories. Uh, okay. Not all you can actually like uh, retell, but it mm-hmm. was like rowdy <laughs> shit going on in the sixties. I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, he's in the thick of it. So yeah, he's cool. Yeah, I hope you get the possibility to 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 talk to him someday because he's he's very entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, he's definitely on the list yeah. for sure. Yeah, but I had we had uh, Peter Reberg, Pita, and Stephen O'Malley here. Mm. They took uh, my masterclass, Bookla masterclass, once, and that was really imagine having two people that's are so intimate with sounds, like harsh sounds and like you know extreme sounds. Yeah, and having and teaching them a new instrument, it was amazing. We had so much fun. That's good. They took to it well. They were like naturals, <laughs> and Stephen, he has. He, I helped him get some sense. Yeah, yeah oh, he, since then, yeah. Yeah, afterwards. So he has uh, 73, 75, and he has uh, an easel now. Nice. Yeah, right so he, he knows he knows those bass frequencies. Yeah. So you are also, you kind of help fix stuff in the area. There's also, is it the Royal? Um, yeah, Royal College of Music. Yeah, yeah I built that system. Uh, it was, it was uh, they had like a, a Black Knob 200. Okay. Uh, but then they wanted to expand it with 200 E modules, so I made mm-hmm. a hybrid. Like uh, I draw them a cabinet. They wanted a, a bit a different one than this, so I made another okay. one, and I put put together a hybrid system that is uh, almost as big as this now, and it's a it's a great system. Also, they have a couple of Bukla enthusiasts working there, mm. so it's like a bit about 50-50 E and early 200. Oh, cool! You should see it. It's cool. yeah. I wanted yeah. If I can get a photo of that from you, yeah. Can... Because I, I think I've I've tried looking. How many for days it. are, are going to be here? Uh, just tomorrow. Oh, On Monday, <laughs> if you decided to say to Monday, I could have uh, get, gotten you into that. Oh, dang. Next time. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully soon. But yeah, maybe we can uh, yeah. put a photo up on the yes. website or something like that. Because I've tried to track that down, but it should it's, have, an, should it's elusive. Me. Should I, know, me. I know. I know. I come. So. Do you have ma- other people kind of coming to you to help out with their old systems that are falling apart? or There are no more Bukla systems in Sweden, <coughs> actually. Okay. Uh, only clone systems. But uh, sometimes I I get asked to fix uh, like uh, uh, VCS3s uh, mm. and uh, also like Synthes uh, and other stuff. And Synthe uh, 100s also. I fixed Synthe 100s. But oh. then I had to go to, to them more or less. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I've been to your well, workshop back here. Um, My uh, messy office. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's I've taken a lot of photos because <laughs> it's just like it's mind blowing. You've got two Sinclair's in there. Um, a friend put them there because he can't. They took up the whole apartment and he, he had to choose between them and his girlfriend, I think, or cats. <laughs> I don't know. So they are here and uh, on, on like uh, they're here for a while. Yeah. Safekeeping. Um, and what's the Korg? It's a uh, PS uh, three thousand three hundred, right. the biggest one. Uh, it's a, it has 
uh, three complete uh, synth voices uh, per key. Oh. So you can you there's there's like uh, three times forty four voices in it. Wow. And, and with the uh, and the three voices that like higher up voices you can set different tunings for each. Oh yeah, so it's like tempered fake, or something yeah, like can, that. Yeah, you can like... set every you can tune every key. Uh, in three different uh, you can in three different uh, tunings and then you can fade between them so you can make this it's it's it's, it's like a one trick pony so really <laughs> it's uh it's a, the the world's most advanced string machine but it's like you can mm. make uh, soundscapes like nothing for like it's amazing yeah but it's like uh, it's a different beast from a synth actually i would say it's a it's a it's a very high tech organ but mm -hmm. it has these modulation possibilities and the tuning so you can make some really like microtonal beatings between yeah if you have three c notes like there are a few cents off mm -hmm. for example and just play play with the settings it's it's amazing but it's like you know it's not really modular even though it looks like a modular. yeah yeah um so is that is ems own no, that, it's a, it belongs to a friend gotcha so i, I he bought it uh um, a Mexican hippie band, and then it was like it, it needed to have a complete uh, overhaul. Gotcha. So it's a bonus thing. Like I, I have it here, so people can, like, gawk at it and play it, <laughs> and then I can, and then I fix it on my spare time. Gotcha. You've got a CNC machine yeah. upstairs. Yeah, we have kind of a deal, same deal there. Like I do, I, I. Uh, learn it on my own time and then I use it for work and then I can use it uh, on my own time too if I want to. Nice. And so you have been doing that and you've got in front of me the piezo thing? Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's not really related to CNC but it's uh, it's my first kind of uh, my own product. Mm -hmm. I've been doing like one-offs and custom works for myself and for artists and, and art galleries before. But this time uh, there was a collaboration between uh, a curator uh, called Tarek Atui and the Royal College of Art. Okay. And we were involved in a uh, in that way that we had some of their uh, students at EMS uh, working because they have some of the projects were uh, like directly synth related and some other was like feedback, uh, PSO and like a kind of mechanical sound related. Okay. So we were involved in that. They had a one-year course that uh, Tarek was teaching. And the end goal of that uh, course was making an exhibition at the Venice Biennale. So it was like a quite a high-profile mm -hmm. uh, course. And uh, as a bonus, more or less, I was like, I was asked to take, we had, we, we developed this uh, art exhibition the year before that was, uh, that was going to be like distilled into some more like mass producible instrument like in for the the previous uh, installation we did like one offs and it was expensive like like hard to to remanufacture mm -hmm. so this time we tried to like make a der derivative work from that and make it like simpler easier and if possible uh, able to mass produce manufacture yeah yeah so this thing turned out like since there was a lot of mechanical feedback and microphones inside objects mm -hmm. i sort of took that idea and i made like a portable feedback instrument that you can put on any surface and it was used as an instrument both as uh, like performance instrument and mm -hmm. also like an installation because it makes a physical sound by itself if you put it on a surface 
Yeah. And so and now now it went went so well. So I decided to make a. I made twelve the first time. Mm-hmm. So that now I decided to make uh, two hundred and fifty, <laughs> and I had to like learn manufacturing and. 3D printing and how to deal with Chinese battery manufacturers. And like, you know, it's a crash course in making something. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's super sleek looking. And so if you kind of describe it to me. So there's one knob on top. Yeah, it's, it's basically you have a piezo mic underneath mm-hmm. that's connected uh, to a, a field effect transistor preamp. Mm-hmm. And then you have a volume control. And then it goes to an amplifier that uh, drives a high-quality miniature transducer. And they are spaced like uh, maybe 60 millimeters apart. Mm -hmm. So if you put them on something, there's going to be like a a feedback loop inside the the material. Uh, Depends on the the pressure you put on it and the material thickness and uh, uh, the distance between the pickup and the and the transducer mm-hmm. so it sort of starts to feedback and you can all you can also have like it's a line out or a headphone out so you can you can record it or make an external feedback loop another one okay with a, if you put it in front of a speaker it will do two feedback loops at the same time oh, wow. that will interact yeah so it looks kind of simple but it's like uh, you can make some really kind of uh, complex sounds with it and then it has a built-in battery so that if you use it casually, it's like uh, two or three weeks of battery time. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a little USB mini jack USB jack, and then is it a headphone or just like a line? Headphone and okay. line. Okay. I would say. Yeah. It's like it, it drives headphones because of the power amp, but it's it's damped, so you can use it uh, to record in the computer. Yeah. So, um, so these are going. Where are these going to end up then? Well, uh, the the project from that I made them for. Uh, the art uh, installation, they they ordered 40 of them. So that's mm-hmm. basically the development uh, cost and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I'm actually, I'm going to sell them to people. And I there I had like a, about 20 pre-orders or something without even, even making any any kind of uh, advertising for it because it's like everybody that tries it, does, if you're in this field, then it's a, it's a very cool tool to have. Yeah. So where can people find it? At the moment, it's like email me or like uh, <laughs> hit me up on Instagram. But otherwise, uh, I'm gonna set up a web page when I have uh, like gotten this, like when I have a bit of a stock, because it takes uh, it takes some time to make mm. to make everything. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll definitely. If by the time this goes out, I'll either have a link or um or I'll, I'll, I'm gonna make something. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, but we'll let we'll let everybody know once yeah. it is available yeah. for uh for sale. It, looks it turned sweet. out my my brother had the the uh, address uh, araya.se so I I'm he asked if he could could take that and he said yeah yeah oh. so I think it's gonna he be didn't, he didn't like charge you no, like just, a crazy yeah, amount of money just, like no, he just used it for for email <laughs> for the fam for our brother brothers and sisters so oh that's nice well, yeah I think it's gonna use that yeah good brother for sure well thanks so much for yeah taking the time to yeah, to do this and. Uh, this has been like a holy experience for, for me. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so I hope you come back and uh, that we have the uh, expert sleeper set up so you can have some really high high rest controls of this because uh, the more uh, interaction you have between like like uh, the Max MSP uh, or C mm-hmm. Sound or whatever, 
and the, this instrument can make some really cool stuff when you also use the modulations from this one in the computer yeah some really cool stuff in, coming up in the future then well very cool all right well with that i'll uh, let you go yeah thank you thank you we'd like to thank daniel for being on the show check out his piezo thing at araya that's a-r-a-y-a dot s-e Podular Modcast just had Brett Knocky on the show this last week, so check that out. And check out Ben Wilson and Ed Ball's Esoteric Modulation Podcast, too. Visit waveformmagazine.com for more details on how to subscribe to the Quarterly Synthesizer Magazine. If you want to help support the show and see all the other great content we produce, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash sourceofuncertainty. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website, sourceofuncertainty.audio. Find us on Instagram at sourceofuncertainty. We'll be back in a couple weeks. <laughs>